hear the story of God's promise for his people, beginning in Genesis all the way to how Jesus is going to come and deliver us. So it's been great to be here with you. And I mean, it's one of the things we desire to be at this church as a family. We really help each other know and follow Jesus. And you can see our family here with budding musicians as well as experienced musicians leading us in worship together. Um, I do want to point out, you may have seen there were some flyers in the seats, and uh, we have another special service on December 24th where we have uh, candlelight service. It is a great way to kind of set your heart and mind upon Christ in the midst of the busyness, and that's 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And then also, to help serve you, we have uh, put together three marriage workshops, uh, one in January, February, and in March, uh, to help you strengthen your marriage in the coming year. If you can make all three, that's great. If you can make one, it will be self-contained enough that it would be worth coming. But we hope you will come. We hope that our, our gift to you will uh, it'll be a blessing to you. Um, we've been studying and looking at the book of Isaiah this past month. And the prophet Isaiah wrote some 700 years before Jesus was born. And we've looked, and you even heard a couple of the passages read this morning, how it foretold and prophesied some of the very things that would happen in Jesus' life. Our, our, the first week we looked together at Isaiah 53, and it spoke about how Jesus would be stricken and smitten and beaten and killed among criminals and buried in the tomb of a rich man, but that he would rise again and see his children forever. And then we read Isaiah 9, which you heard read this morning, about the coming of a king who would bring, bring peace from the line of David. Now, there were some for a long time that thought, you know, maybe those Christians just went back and kind of scrubbed Isaiah, edited it a little bit to make the story fall on the line. But in the 1940s, they found some manuscripts called the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found a whole intact manuscript of Isaiah from 125 B.C., before Christ was even born. It's amazing to think that throughout the Bible there are all these prophecies that mathematically are just impossible to think that they could have just happened, and yet they came true, a sign that God is at work keeping his promises from the very beginning. So I'd like to read a few verses from Isaiah 35 this morning that are really filled with hope. So let's read them. Isaiah 35, I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for that picture of a desert becoming a beautiful garden and the hope that it can bring to us. I ask that as we have heard these scriptures read, and as we listen and think about this passage, that you would make us a people of great hope, because Jesus has come to save us. 
and Jesus will lead us home. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, it was 1980. Roller skating was in. And me and my middle school friends were at the rink. And we were making the rounds, going around and around to some great music. And I saw her. She was a girl from school. I didn't know her name. So as I was going around, I kept skating and getting the courage to ask her for that soon-to-happen couple skate. So I kept my eye on her, and then as this couple skate announcement came up, and there was this little light that would say couple skate, I made my way over there. I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm Danny. Yes, I went by Danny. I know, it's so cute, isn't it? Um, and she said, well, hi, I'm Kari. I said, would well, you like to skate? And she said, yes. And I wiped the sweat off my sweaty palm and grabbed her hand, and we, we skated. And then kind of broke up, and we skated with our friends again. Another couple skate happened, and we kind of made eye contact. We're like, and we skated towards each other, held hands, skated around the rink, and she gave me her phone number before she left. And throughout the week, we talked a couple times. I'm like, this is going well. I could see a girlfriend on the horizon here. So we were back at the skating rink. Couple skate light comes on. I looked to find her. She's skating with someone else. My heart crumbled. My vision had collapsed. What I thought was a great prospect just fell for another middle school boy. It's a silly incident, right? But I think we've had moments where we've thought about something in life and it crumbled around us. And it may have been silly like that, though seemingly very important in the moment. But I know many of you well, and I know you've faced real hardship. You've faced devastating news, incredibly broken relationships, th things that have shaken you to the very core. And in those moments, and I've had them, you just say, God, is this true? Are you... Are you real? Why would you let this happen? And our faith begins to waver. Have you been disappointed by God? You might be here this morning, and you're just here because a friend asked you to come, and to be quite honest, you're not even sure you believe God exists or that Jesus is real. And some of that is based on the way life has gone. You feel like you've been doing the right thing. You feel like you've put others first most of the time. You feel like you've tried to live a good life. And yet circumstances make you look at life and it feels much more like a desert than it does a garden. Both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke recount this story about John that we just heard read about, the one who was the witness to Jesus. The one actually who was there and baptized Jesus, the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who said, He must increase and I must decrease. But John was in prison now, and he sent a message to Jesus, and he asked this question, Are you the one who was promised? In that prison, because he'd been doing the right thing. He was speaking truth. I, I wonder if, 
He said, is this real? I mean, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus responded by quoting Isaiah 35 and part of Isaiah 61. And in Matthew and Luke, it says, And Jesus performed many miracles, healing those sick and with disease. And then he says, Tell John this, the blind see and the lame walk. And then he quotes part of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken heart, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. He's saying, John, I'm the promised one. I am the deliverer. I know you might be doubting now, but don't. Because I'm fulfilling all these promises. That's part of what I love about this story that you see from Genesis all the way through that it's pointing us to one who will deliver us and rescue us, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the promised deliverer. And we see it there in verse 5 and 6 because he used these very words, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's me. The whole reason I believe that Jesus had the miracles in the midst of the Gospels were to be a sign that he was the Son of God. They were evidence that this new kingdom was breaking into the world, that the promises of God were beginning to be realized. And they were a picture and a foretaste of what was going to happen on the very end. See, it's interesting in the Old Testament when they're making these prophecies that they were looking forward to a deliverer to come. But one of the things that happened is they often put together, they didn't quite fully understand how things were going to play out. And so sometimes, uh, there's technical words for it, but here's the illustration that sometimes the prophets were looking forward to the coming of the deliverer. And it was like you're driving west towards the Rockies and you see all the mountains and they seem like one big range. But when you get closer, there's a mountain here and there's a valley and a mountain behind it. And so as the prophets were looking forward what they were seeing was something, some of the things that would happen when Jesus came the first time and when Jesus would come the second time. And for them, from the distance, it looked the same. So as Jesus came the first time, born to Mary, and then walking on this earth, performing these amazing miracles, giving evidence that he has power over creation and over death itself as he raised Lazarus from the dead, they're evidence that Jesus is the promised deliverer and they're giving a picture of what it's going to be like. In fact, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 35, which I didn't read, it has a similar image. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice in blossoms like the crocus. The crocus is this beautiful spring flower. So imagine this dry desert all of a sudden is starting to see these beautiful blooms. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Those were three of the most beautiful places in the world. And they're saying, this desert is going to become as beautiful and lush as this. It's a, a picture of a new garden. Because they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so when Jesus came, there's this breaking in of the kingdom of God unto earth to prepare us to be delivered and rescued by him. And he's the Messiah who's going to save us. In verse 4, he says, look, he's going to come and he's going to save you. In verse 9 and 10, it uses that language to help us understand. It says, 
that the redeemed are going to walk on this highway. That's one of Isaiah's favorite kind of illustrations, this, this highway, this path. But he says the redeemed are going to walk on it and the ransom of the Lord will return to Zion, the home where God is, with singing. Those two words are really important for us to understand why Jesus came. And he came to rescue us or to redeem us. That word redeem, there was this role in the ancient Near East called the kinsman redeemer. And it was his right, not necessarily a duty, that he could come and he could take care of his family if there was a debt to be paid, if there was some burden to be lifted. And he would come and he would stand in their place and he would be their substitute. He would be the one who would supply the need and, and care for the family. And so it's saying Jesus is the one who's coming here. He's redeeming, he's rescuing, he's providing for the family. I love how Alex Mutier put it. He said, what is your problem? The Redeemer says, give it to me. What is your need? I will meet it. What is your burden? Lay it on my shoulders. That is the beautiful picture of what Jesus, the Redeemer, has come. And he has come to rescue us and ransom us. The other word that ransom, Jesus picks up himself in Mark chapter 10. He says, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, as we saw in Isaiah 53, he's saying, I'm going to be your substitute. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have sinned against God. But the Lord has taken our sin and he has put it upon Jesus. And so we are redeemed and ransomed by his atoning death, his substitutionary death on the cross for us. See, our hope is not in ourselves. See, that's what Christmas reminds us of, that salvation is by grace. It's not by what we do. Jesus is the rescuer who ransoms us and redeems us. That's why it's significant to understand that we believe that Jesus did come, was born as the God-man, and lived a sinless life. That this isn't just a myth or a a moral example for us to follow. Because then there's not much hope in that. Because if it's just a, a, a myth and an example, I mean, so is the little engine that could. We don't need an example in that sense. We need someone to rescue us because we can't save ourselves. And that is the beauty of the message of Christianity that Jesus says, I'm not going to point you to salvation. I'm going to win your salvation. I'm going to pay for your salvation through my death. See, the option is, if we discount the historicity of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, then we really are saying, I'm going to bank on me being good, good enough. One of the dangers of that is Either you can become pretty proud and smug, like, yeah, I'm pretty good, better than at least the person next to me. Or you can become really discouraged and think, man, I I can't measure up. And if you're like me, sometimes you ride the roller coaster of both, between pride and smugness and anxiety and self-loathing. But see, that's the beauty of Jesus. He 
takes both of those tendencies away from us and says, you're right, you aren't good enough. And you're not bad enough that I can't rescue you and save you. So this passage gives us hope because Jesus is the promised one who is going to deliver us and rescue us. And if you look at the history of God's people in the Old Testament, and you look at them in the New Testament, these were a lot of broken people who had done a lot of terrible things to other people and even to themselves. And yet no one is beyond the grace of God. I want you to believe that this morning. Again, sometimes people hear the message of Christianity as be a good person, you'll get to heaven. And some of you think, I can't be good enough, so I really shouldn't come to church because they wouldn't want me. Friends, we are a place of sinners who need a Savior. And here all are welcome in the name of Jesus because we need His grace in our life. Well, Jesus is the deliverer who's going to save us, but He's also going to lead us home. As I said, Isaiah uses this illustration of a highway in verse 9, he says there's a highway there, and the highway is going to be called the way of holiness. It's the way to, to God, the way home to Zion. He says the unclean aren't going to pass there, because now those who have trusted and believed in Jesus, they're made clean by him. And it shall belong to those who walk in the way, who follow after him. Even if they're fools, they're not going to go astray, because if they are in Christ, this is the highway for them. And it's a safe highway. There's not going to be a lion. There's not going to be any ravenous beast. There's not going to be anyone who can rob them. Now, you have to understand, it's helpful to understand what was going on historically. At that point, probably Assyria had come in, burned a lot of their crops, and was raiding people on the road. So the people of God still in Jerusalem probably felt boxed in. They couldn't go anywhere. They didn't have crops, couldn't travel. It wasn't safe. And they were in this time of waiting. In fact, that's the idea of Advent. We're in this waiting period, waiting for the first coming of Jesus, but now we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus when the garden will be made fully new. So in the midst of this, he gives them this promise, you're going to get home. I will deliver you. That's why the phrase God with us is so important. I'm going to be with you on that road. I was thinking about what might this look like for us. And I was thinking, imagine driving through D.C. traffic. Everyone loves Washington, D.C. traffic. Isn't it great? Especially in the holidays when you go to visit family and everyone else is going to visit family. But imagine you were going to visit family. Everything stopped, but you are in the presidential motorcade. What happens then? Everyone moves and you just kind of ride on by. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. You're in that presidential motorcade and Christ is both the escort behind and before and he is the reason you are there. It's not because you're good, not because you're loved, but Jesus Christ, the King of creation, as you believe in him, says, come on, you're part of the family. Let's ride there together. And it is the King who is protecting you and bringing you there. See, that is so important for us because oftentimes when we look at life, when we look at the highway that we're on, it looks like we're going through a desert. And there's danger everywhere we see. And we're feeling the heat of the curse of this world. We're feeling the pain of brokenness and alienation. 
and we get discouraged. So, so how does this passage help us? Well, for some of you this morning, the first thing, the way it may help you, is that you need to this very morning believe that Jesus was the God-man who died in your place so that you could trust in Him, not your own righteousness, to know God, to know assurance of salvation, to know that He's going to lead you home. For some of you this morning who are resting in Christ, what you might need to do is to be able to say, you know, I need to be strong and trust God and His promises. So what he says in verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Some of you may need that encouragement this morning. Some of you may need it in this holiday season that's supposed to be great and festive, and yet your heart is mourning because some of the hard things in your life. You need to be strong and courageous. And I'm not saying just kind of, you know, pull yourself up and just put a smile on, but be strong because God has promised through His Son Jesus that His Spirit is with you. You're not alone. It may feel like it. You may feel like you're in the desert. But man, there is good news. You can trust God and His promises. Even as John was in prison, he said, I am the one. You can be at peace. Paul, who was in prison, you can be at peace. I saw that this week. Uh, Many of you know one of our members, Connie Baker, went in for open-heart surgery. And I was there with her before the surgery, and her doctors walked in, and she said, I just want you to know I'm not anxious. I am at peace. And it's not because you're great doctors. <laughs> not sure. It, maybe not exactly, but essentially she said, but I've been praying for you, and I know that I've chosen you and God led me to you. I'm at peace because I trust my God. She slept the night before her surgery. Now, Roger and her daughter didn't sleep so well, but Connie was at peace. She was strong and not anxious because she knew God is leading her home and He is with her. It was beautiful to see her faith and her witness on display. So you might need that strength that comes from saying, I believe in the promises of God. He is walking with me through this highway. David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So we need to believe that Christ is our Savior. We need to trust that He is with us. And then he says this also, that you're going to come to Zion singing with gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I don't know about you, but even this week I've had some sorrow and sighing. But there's a day when it's going to go away. And I love what Matthew Henry said. He said, Our joyfulness and prospect of eternal life should swallow up both the joys and the sorrows of this present life. See, what he's saying is as we think about the promises of God that He would crush the head of the serpent, that He would send someone born of a virgin, that they would be born in Bethlehem, and that Christ was born in Bethlehem, and He did all these amazing miracles was risen from the dead. And that can make our hearts sing no matter what we're facing. It can give us hope. See, 
joy springs. It's more than this sense of happiness. It springs up even in the midst of the desert because we know where we're going to get there. We are in this kingly escort that is on this highway home that Christ is always with us. You can find hope and courage and strength in the realities that Christ is your Savior. That is the good news of Christmas. That's what we celebrate. Not just the sweet coming of a child, but the birth of a Savior who came to save. The one who is our kinsman redeemer, who's the ransom, who gave his life for us, that we might be led home. Let me pray for us. Father, may the words we have sung, the words we have listened to, become greater realities in our heart, soul, and mind. For those who are anxious and troubled, may the strength of your promises, fulfilled over hundreds and hundreds of years, give us confidence that you are with us now. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are filled with joy, even in the midst of the desert that is being made new. But until that day, until all the sorrow and sighs are taken away, help us to find joy in your promises and that you are a God who is with us. And Lord, thank you too for those this morning who are examining the truth of Jesus. May this be the very day that you enable them to believe and trust in you. That they could say that I have seen that Jesus is my deliverer and he has saved me. Lord, help us to worship you well this Christmas season and rejoice that you came to save us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.